Let's pray together. Holy Father, such a joyous season, such a sad story today. Somehow, please help us make the connection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is a bittersweet way to end this series that you and I have been journeying through this semester, The Chosen. And because the ending is so bittersweet, we've got to start with a little something of hope. Something that might give us a word of hope. So let me tell you about a book that I have here in the pulpit with me. A friend of mine, retired preacher, we used to pastor out in Oregon together. His name is Phil Dunham. Surprised me two weeks ago and sent me this book, Sure Salvation. You can know you have eternal life. If you want something to just give a bit of electricity in your holiday living, this book is just dynamite. So I've been reading the book through and I came across uh, this story. He's telling about Phil is a renowned speaker. He doesn't identify who the speaker is, but the speaker is speaking to a, uh, an audience. And he reaches into his wallet and he pulls out, the speaker does, a brand new $20 bill. He says, all right, who here wants the $20? Yeah, go ahead. Put your hand up. Hey, nothing wrong with that. All right. I'm going to give this away. All right. But before I do, the speaker said, before I do, I'm going to do something to this $20 bill. So he took it and he just crumpled it up just as tight as he could. And then he said, all right, now how many want this $20 bill? Same hands all went up, just like yours. <laughs> he said, all right. So now you got to open this whole thing up. And so he uncrumpled this bill. He said, okay. And he let the $20 bill fall to the floor. And he just ground it in with his shoe grit gunk, whatever's on the bottom of a human shoe. And then he picked it up. He said, okay, now how many want this? <laughs> Man, more hands are going up every time. <laughs> and then the speaker said to the audience, now I want you to get this, guys. Listen to me very carefully. Never forget what you have just observed. No matter what I did with the money, you still wanted it. Because what happened to it did not change its original value. Huh? He said, you and I, we go through life. Decisions we make. Sins we commit. We are just crumpled and gritty and filthy. And we are feeling worthless and diminished. But then we need to remember, and the speaker paused, we must never forget that no matter what has happened to you or what will yet happen to you, you 
are still of value in the sight of God. In fact, he considers you a priceless treasure. Hallelujah. Oh, I love that illustration. I love that illustration. Now, who wants this $20 bill? You have, you have to come here and get it. And in getting it, you have to say, hey, you know something? You know something? You know something? Look at this. You have to say, I tell you what, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the oldest one here and give it to you, young man. Yeah, I tell you what, I love, you're welcome. God bless you. Uh, I love, and you can't spend it, by the way. Did you get that? The point was, you can't spend it. You just hang on to this bill for the rest of your life. <laughs> He'll spend it, trust me. Um, you know, but I lo- hey, hey, guys, I just love that illustration. Because for, for a whole semester now, we have been tracking, we've been tracking the chosen. And I mean, they have been messing up time after time after time. You and I have watched them. We've watched them mess up. But the truth of that $20 bill is the truth about the chosen. And that is no matter how dirty and crumpled the chosen become, the chosen never lose their original value. And they are always precious in the sight of God. Hallelujah. Even when their top two spiritual leaders crash and burn in front of the whole community, still they are precious. Open your Bible with me for one last time in this series of the chosen. Not to our theme book. We'll end in the theme book. But go to the fourth book. Fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy is our theme book for this series. But go to Numbers. Would you please? The book of Numbers just before Deuteronomy. It's a bittersweet story. I wish we didn't have to share it. I wish there were a way to get around this story and straight into the promised land. But guys, you can't get there from here. Unless you go through the story, Numbers chapter 20, if you didn't bring a Bible, oh, please grab the pew Bible in front of you. New King James Version, exactly the same translation I have right here. Be page 108, 108 in your pew Bible. Unforgettable story. Here we go. We got to fly through this story. The semester's almost over. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Hold it right there. Who's Miriam? Refresh my memory. Who is Miriam? Moses' sister. Somebody else's sister as well. Who else? Aaron. Miriam is 132 years old. She dies. Aaron is 123. Moses is 120. I'm telling you, they got good genes from their parents, didn't they? <laughs> Miriam dies. She's been a part of this little, little triumvirate, as it were. Three siblings and leaders of the chosen. Now, here we go, verse 2. Now. There was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together. Can you believe it? Here we go again. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Deja vu all over again. Again. They've run out of water. And they blame the two brothers. But as it turns out, it is no accidental water shortage. You know why? Because it's final exam week. 
It's final exam week before the promised land. Question. Have the children learned the lesson, the one their now buried parents failed to learn the lesson of faith and trust in their divine leader? Answer. Let's turn off the water and find out. That's what happened. Somebody with a capital S turned the water off. You say, Dwight, you can't prove that. I sure can. We've been to this chapter before. First Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's talking about that moment. And he says, by the way, during those 40 years, all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. They had water as long as Christ was leading them. And trust me, for 40 wearying years, he has been the rock and he has been leading them and they've had water. But we got to find out. We got to find out if the kids have learned the lesson mama and papa failed to learn. And so the water supply off. And how do the people respond? No surprise here. Verse 3, and the people contended. Now, the Hebrew word for contended, it carries with it the connotation of violence. The people contended. Mm. The people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Verse 4, why have you, and by the way, it's plural, we're talking about Moses and Aaron here. Why have you brought up the assembly of Lord and of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Verse 5, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. And apparently that word that has a bit of violence laced with it is threatening enough that Moses and Aaron, gone. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I'd fall on my face too. After 40 years, I'd be on my face. Dear God, how much more of this are we supposed to take? The kids are no better than their parents and they're about to stone us. God speaks. I hear you. He speaks. Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, here comes now. Verse 8. Take the rod. The one you parted the Red Sea with. You know that rod. You take that rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Forty years earlier, you remember that the, the parents of these kids when they were young, 40 years earlier, the identical final exam was given to them before going over into the promised land. And remember, but how radically different now. Get a load of this. The, the instructions have changed. Now, you need to keep your finger right here because we're coming right back. But go to, let's go to the first test. Forty years ago, when Mama and Papa were getting the test. All right, Exodus chapter 17. Go back to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 17. Take a look at this. Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. Ah, you, you remember the story. Verse 3, and the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained. Here we go. The people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So, verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Verse five. And the Lord said to Moses, Shh, go on before the people. 
Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, that mighty river Nile, and go. Verse 6, for behold, now watch this, behold, I will stand before you there in the rock. That will be me. Do you understand? I will stand before you there in the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And the water will come out of it and the, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, please note, ladies and gentlemen, God's unmistakable pronouncement to Moses. When you stand before the rock, you, I will be right there before you. I will be the rock. When you strike the rock, you are striking me and I will bring water, life-giving, life-saving water for you. Now, that point is so critical. That point is so critical in order for us to understand the terrible story in Numbers 20 that we need, we need, to, we need to seal the understanding. And I need you to take your study guide out right now. Take your study guide out. Let's just, let's just jot it down. A dramatic piece of symbolism in Exodus 17. So dramatic that if we don't get it, we'll never understand Numbers 20. So take the study guide out that you have in your worship bulletin. Uh, ushers, thank you for uh, making sure that everybody here gets a study guide. Hold your hand up. If you didn't get a study guide, you've got to see the final chapter to the chosen. Don't miss the study guide. You're up in the balcony. Hold your hand up. We'll make sure that we get it to you. And those of you who are watching on television, let's put that website on the screen. Let's put it on the screen. There it is. Go to our website and you can get the same study guide that we're going to carefully take a look at. Now, go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. And when you get the website, you're looking for the series, The Chosen. This is part 12. This is the final installment of The Chosen. You're looking for the title, Crossing Over. When you get to Crossing Over, it'll say Study Guide. You click right there. You'll have the identical study guide that we have right here. Just keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Let's take a look at this breathtaking, really breathtaking symbolism. And we've got we to gotta go. So do you, you have your study guide? Let's go. Exodus 17:6, which we read... Just a split second ago, fill it in. God speaking to Moses, behold, I will stand before you, before you there on the rock. That's going to be me. Do you understand? I will be there right there in front of you on the rock. Me, Moses. And Paul comes along. He says, absolutely right. First Corinthians 10. Let's fill it in this time. Same verse we read a moment ago. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Make sure you complete that. The rock is Christ himself. So at the beginning of their 40-year journey, the divine instructions were clear. Now here's the rest of uh, verse 6. Fill it out, Exodus 17, verse 6. And you shall strike. The Hebrew word here is nachah. You shall nachah, the rock. And life-saving water, make sure you get that, water will flow forth. What's going on? What's going on here? Let's put the pieces together. Keep your pen moving. There's another verse in the Old Testament that uses that identical Hebrew word, Naha. It's there in the study guide. Fill it in. It's Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten. That second word, smitten, is the same Hebrew word, Naha. What Moses does to the rock is done to the Messiah. We, we, we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Who is that, do you suppose? Huh? Oh, Isaiah 53 is referring to the servant of God. Metaphor for the coming Messiah who will be led as a lamb to the slaughter. And who might that be? 
Keep your pen moving. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 19, verse 34. It's Friday afternoon. Hey, 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 we've got to get all three bodies down. All three bodies down. I don't care if they're alive or not. Kill them. Take them down. And they come to the body of the middle cross. Chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and immediately blood and water. Write it down. Water comes out. Jesus to the woman of Samaria by the well of Sychar. Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 14. Jot it down. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give her or him will never thirst. It shall be a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The inescapable point, guys, please jot it down. Two more sentences. The inescapable point, the divine command to strike the rock once. So that the water of life would flow was intended to teach Moses and Israel the truth of Calvary. It's the truth of Calvary there in Exodus 17. And what's the truth of Calvary? Keep your pen moving. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was offered. How many times was Christ offered? How many times? Once, once, once. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. One more line. The rock need be stricken only once. And from Calvary's fountain would flow all, for all time, life-giving, hallelujah, life-saving water. Isn't that great? Which, by the way, means that Jesus does not need to be sacrificed again and again and again, as He is in some churches. Don't have to. One sacrifice One sacrifice in time and the entire human race for all time is covered. Moses, Moses, you strike that rock once. I am the rock. And when you strike me, water will flow. How radically different. Are God's instructions this time? Go back now to the, where your finger is. Numbers 20. How radically different. Numbers 20. Are God's instructions. Let's read those instructions again. Numbers 20. Uh, verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, here come the instructions. Verse 8. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron. Gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. My friend Roy Gain is a professor over here at the Theological Seminary. Zondervan. Listen to this. Most of you don't know this. Zondervan, the largest evangelical publishing house in the world, contacted Roy. And they said, we want you to write volume number three in the NIV application commentary. That would cover the books of Leviticus and Numbers. Two great books for an Adventist scholar to take on. And he did. And he has done a masterful job. I'm reading his commentary on Leviticus. But in Numbers, he makes the point uh, with with the story in Numbers 20 uh, that I had never seen before. I'll put uh, these are Roy's words. I'll put it on the screen for you. Moses and Aaron here in Numbers 20 are merely to speak are to merely speak. And by the way, it's plural. God says, I want both of you boys to speak. All right. Both brothers. They are to merely speak to the rock. This will be, here it comes, this will be an even greater miracle than in Exodus 17 where Moses struck the rock. Why? As there is no possibility that a physical blow will simply dislodge the natural plug to an aquifer. You get the point, don't you? Not only is God wanting to preserve the Calvary metaphor, 
And that is there's only one sacrifice. It's done once for all time. So it only needed to have been struck at the beginning of the journey. By the way, I had a seminarian come up to me after, after first church. And he said, you know something, uh, uh, Pastor, we learned from John Baldwin in his class this last week that there's actually when now Moses is commanded to speak to the rock. And this was new for me. Listen to this. When Moses is commanded to speak to the rock, it's because now once the sacrifice has been made and the lamb is stricken on the cross, you never again. It never has to be repeated. Now, when you fall, when you fall, as we all do. You need only cry out to the rock. And like that, you got water that washes you clean. Isn't that great? Now, no more striking. It's all over. Two thousand years ago, this got done. Now you just call upon me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you. Isn't that great? But Roy says, hey, and that's not all. If Moses whacks this rock and people can say, yeah, well, yeah, you, you know, there's a little aquifer in there and you loose the stone. Whoopee. But if Moses walks up to that rock and he says, rock, water, man, you'll write home about that one. Supernatural has to be. Can't be a mistake. Accident. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, when God gives a command to you and me, as he has done many times, when he gives a command to you and me. Our obedience to the letter guarantees the very outcome that God intends. If I hedge, if I hold back, I'll say, I'm not, I'll not follow you here. I lost what I wanted to have by your bold and uncompromising obedience. Moses tragically disobeys. That's so sad. Keep reading. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And verse 10, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. We're talking about thousands here. We're talking about tens of thousands. Do you understand? Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. They know. <laughs> Moses knows because he'd been with his rock for 40 years. He knows the rock is Christ right here. Christ is here. Right here. Moses knows that. They gather the thousands Moses stands up right beside the rock. And then you know what? There's supposed to be both boys speaking. Moses says, give me that microphone, Aaron. <laughs> now hear this. It's exactly what he says. Hear this, you rebels. Hear this, you rebels. He meant stinking rebels. Must we, huh? Must we fetch water for you? Takes that rod, lifts it high over his head, and with everything 120 years has, and not once. No. You want water? And in that instant, look at that. And the water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals with a shriek of delight. The whole people drink. Every time I read these words, I say, oh, my God. 
help us all. In fact, would you jot it down, please? Apparently, even the greatest of leaders and the meekest of saints can in one blinding moment spiritually melt down. You say, oh, well, good, because I plan to do a lot of melting down between here and the promised land. No, 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 that's not what this is about. This is not giving you permission. Because I want to remind you, not all melted down. Joseph didn't. Never once can you find Joseph melting down. And he had ample reason to melt down in front of those 12 despicable, 11 despicable brothers of his. Daniel did not melt down. He had ample reason to melt down. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus did not melt down. As he's dragging the cross to Calvary and some poor wretch comes and empties his throat all over Jesus' face like the old spiritual sings. No, he never said a mumbling word. Not a word. Not a word. No, he never said a mumbling word. You want an example? And you're a leader. It's not Moses. It's Jesus. Or Daniel. Or Joseph. First Peter chapter two, jot it down. Verse 23. Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And what is the fair judgment of God regarding these two leaders? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Verse 12. The last verse. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. You know what? Every time I read these words, I want to sit down and cry. I just want to cry. My heart aches for Moses, who for 40 long, bone-wearying, back-breaking years has been the nursemaid and the leader to these grown-up kids. I want to weep. Moses, who when God said, hey, I'm out, I am going to nuke them. Moses, who time and time again said, no, 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 please, I beg of you, save them, save them. In fact, take my name out of the book. You nuke me and you leave them. This is the same Moses, who in one moment of unguarded passion, loses his control, melts down in front of the entire community. And the divine verdict is quick because you sinned. You're not going in. In his farewell address in Deuteronomy just before he dies, Moses tells the people in chapter 3, he said, You know what? I have begged God, I have pleaded with God. Reverse the verdict, change your mind. I learned my lesson. I want to go in. I want to go in. Until finally, Moses tells them, he tells them this, until finally, one day Christ, because we know it's the pre-incarnate Christ, one day, Christ could not take it any longer. When you become a parent, you'll know 
that when your children weep, really weep, you weep with them. Can't help it. And you know what Christ says to Moses? He says, speak no more to me of this matter. It's killing both of us. I can't take it anymore. Don't say another word. Guys, we got a heartbroken God and a heartbroken leader. What's going on? You know what's going on? Do you? I mean, why is God making such a big deal about Moses and Aaron's sin? After all, he forgave Aaron of the golden calf. He forgave Moses of the murdered Egyptian. So why doesn't he just forgive him here? Just forgive him. Forget it. Get it over with. Hey, by the way, don't you dare bring up the issue of forgiveness. This is not a matter of forgiveness. Moses, in that instant, is forgiven. Say, you can't prove that to me. I sure can. Two pages. Two pages. Just turn two pages further into Numbers. You go to Numbers 23. Take a look at this. And you're going to have to write this down in your study guide because this came to me after we put the study guide together. So Numbers 23. Just write it down because you'll never want to forget this verse as long as you live. Numbers 23. Two pages further. Drop down to verse 21. Speaking of God and the chosen who have been messing up for 40 years straight. Speaking of God. Look at this. Verse 21. He, God, has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Hey, time, time out. What do you what are you saying? You haven't seen any wickedness in these people. You haven't seen their meltdown again and again. Nope, I haven't seen it. Ladies and gentlemen, God, don't you talk to me about God's forgiveness. You've got his forgiveness just like that. Anytime you jolly well, please. You ought not to take you ought not to you ought, you ought not to abuse that gift reminds me of these words. Steps of Christ, page 62. I wish, I wish I had these in the study guide for you. Look at this. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been. Some of you are at the end of this semester and you are saying, I have, I have screwed up royally, morally. My life is shot and I got one more semester to go. Some of you today are not that excited about the holiday because you're dragging a ball and chain of a memory that will not let you go. I want you to read these words. You go to Jesus. If you give yourself to Jesus and you say, Jesus, please, I beg of you, start over with me. Give me a new beginning. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been for his sake, you are accounted righteous. Now, this gets even better. Watch this. Christ's character stands in place of your character and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Don't you don't you dare bring up the issue of divine forgiveness here with Moses and Aaron. They got forgiven just like that. The issue is not forgiveness. The issue is leadership. You see, to whom? Much is given, much is required. And I hate to say this, but if you're a leader in your home, your marriage, your classroom, you're a leader. You're a leader in your place of business, are you? You're a leader in your, in your institution. You're a leader. I hate to say this, but the bar is raised higher by God for leaders than for followers. I'm sorry. 
to whom much is given, much will then be required. Because let's face it, God could have said to the whole, the whole shooting mass of Israel, God could have said, you know what? Everybody screwed up. Nobody's going in. But he doesn't. He takes just the leaders. And he said, you boys will not be going in. It's tough. You think about it. Is he being unfair to Moses and Aaron? No. The two boys over the entire community of Israel, these two boys know more about the metaphor of the Redeemer whose sacrifice will save the human race. They know more than anybody else. Hands down, these boys know that rock is Christ. And the striking 40 years ago was to be done just once. They already know the truth. To whom much is given, much will be required. By striking the rock as he lost his temper, instead of speaking to it, and by the way, he strikes it twice, Moses smears God's holy Calvary sacrifice, just smears it in front of the people. How does he do it? Jot it down. He takes all the credit to himself by eclipsing God completely. It's as if there is no God. Must we? Huh? What do you want? Water? You want me to? You, must we fetch water for you? God is totally obliterated from the scene. And by the way, inadvertently, Moses thus proves the people's charges that it has been Moses leading them all along. Because for 40 years they've been saying that. Hey, why'd you bring us here? Hey, why don't you give us food? Hey, where's the water? For 40 years, Moses has been saying, I'm not anxious. Don't look to me. Our leader is not me. God is our leader. But now in a moment of critical necessity, he forgets. And he says, I could I'll give you that water. And he proves that the people were right. They've had only a human leader all this time. Now, God has two choices. He can just pretend he didn't hear. Oh, poor Moses. Man, it's hot out here. That's got to be his problem. Or, in an instant, he responds to correct what otherwise would melt down an entire nation. And so he does. Patriarchs and prophets, look at this. You have to fill it in. God shut Moses out of Canaan to teach a lesson which should never be forgotten, that he requires exact obedience. If you've been debating in your mind, shall I obey God all the way or just part way? I want to tell you something, my friend. You just got your answer. You've been waiting for a divine response to your query. You just got it. Complete obedience. There is no half obedience with God. Half obedience is disobedience. You understand that? Half obedience is disobedience. God shut Moses out of Canaan to teach a lesson which should never be forgotten, that he requires exact obedience, and that men and women are to be aware, beware of taking to themselves the glory which is due to their maker, end quote. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Guys, that's it. The, the chosen have to learn that lesson before the promised land. Trust and obey. Especially the leaders of the chosen. The deaths of these two senior leaders, both atop two separate mountains this side of the promised land, have become a lesson that time can never erase. We all know the story. I want to conclude their stories and this series with a reflection on the profound mercy of God. May I do that? Then I'll sit down. Phil Dunham's book. 
Really wish you'd get it. Sure, salvation. In the book, Phil makes an observation. He says, Did you, do you know how many times the word saint and saints, those two words are used in the Bible? I didn't, never, never knew that. He says, just under a hundred. A hundred times. And in those almost 100 times, never, never, never is the word saint attached to a human name except for once. Psalm 106, write it down. Verse 16, Aaron. Can you believe this? Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. Are, are we talking about the same Aaron? We're talking about the golden calf, weak-willed, easily influenced, non-confronting, overly permissive Aaron is the only human being in the entire scriptures who's called Saint. It's not Saint Daniel. It's not Saint Moses. It's not Saint Joseph. It's not Saint Paul. It's just Saint Aaron. Have mercy, which apparently is what God does. So what does a saint get this down? Before I sit down, Phil, this is from Phil's book. Saints are sinners under construction. Desire of Ages declares Christ is sitting for his portrait in every disciple. Saints are people who have to have many retakes. Jesus is sitting for his picture in my life. I tell you what, what would we do without retakes? Have you, did you get your picture taken for the church directory? Oh, brother, you know, Karen and I, our picture is great. I mean, you, you'll see it in the directory. But I'm telling you, they had to do singles of the staff. And my picture is just... Ah. Please, they show it to you afterwards. Are you serious? This is what? Please. Let's do a retake. Can't. Next, next. Oh, brother. There'll be another picture. Trust me. Saints are people who have to have many retakes. Christ is sitting for his portrait in your life and mine. Whoa, Jesus says, hey, hey, did you see that? Let's take another shot of her. Please, let's not use that one. That's not my portrait. You want to run by this one one more time, sis? Okay, now, oi, I want to keep that picture in my album, Jesus says. Saints are people who have to have many retakes. And then one more line, get it down. Saints are sinners whom God is saving. Hallelujah. Aaron, the saint of the Lord. What's your name? Hmm? What's your name? Fill it in that blank. That means that you can fill it in. Your name, the saint of the Lord. Come on, put your name in there. Put your, be bold. Believe in the mercy of God and put your name in that blank. By the grace of God, you can. Because if God can call Aaron a saint, he can call you a saint. Trust me. Aaron died a saint. How did Moses die? Oh, mercy. Moses, Moses. You see, a $20 bill, no matter how crumpled and dirty it becomes, St. Aaron, a $20 bill, no matter how crumpled and dirty it becomes, never loses its original value. And I'll call one person in the Bible a saint, and that'll be you, Aaron. That'll be you. Aaron will wake up one day when he gets to the promised land and he'll find out, you know what? You're the only guy that got called a saint. Give me a high five. (laughs) Want to know about Moses? Uh, With tender pathos, the story of the chosen comes to an end. Not the chosen, just Moses. The book of Deuteronomy is his farewell address. And I'm not going to put it on the screen for you. I want you to look at it in your own Bible. Deuteronomy 33. This is something else. This is his, his final words are chapter 33. He dies in 34. Chapter 33, and I want you to notice just the last words. I tell you what, when I die, when I die, if Jesus doesn't come one day, I'm going to die. When I die for my children and for my family, I pray that I will have the presence of mind to make these my last words before I die. Wouldn't you like to die with these your last 
will and testament to those who survive you. His final words to Israel, 40 years he's wept over these kids grown up. And he says, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. I'd love for my children to know when I die that they're saved. I want my kids to know that they're saved. I want them to know. Then I'll die. Oh, Moses, Moses, Moses. 120 years as strong as the day he began, Deuteronomy 34 says. But now he must die. And so in the next verses, you have the story. That whole camp watches him. Do you know what? They know God is going to put him to sleep on top of that mountain. We've had to do that with pets. And it kills you. Trust me, it kills you with a pet. Everybody here knows that that sagging-shouldered leader is going to climb that mountain and he will die alone. I bet you the whole camp wanted to race after him and hang on to him and say, Oh, no, Moses, no, no, you stay, you stay. We'll take you, we'll take you, we'll take you across the Jordan. No, the man must go alone. Don't you ever talk to me again about it, boy. You're going to die. And alone, he climbs to the summit of a mountain called Nebo. The actual peak is called Pisgah. And the, incarnate, the pre-incarnate Christ is waiting for him. Moses, I'm here. You and I have gotten closer than any two beings in the history of earth. You've talked to me as if I were a friend. You have come face to face with me, Moses. I'm here. Before you die, I want you to look. Just look, 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 look. I'm going to show you supernaturally the entire spread of the promised land. And while you're looking, while you're looking, I'm going to play the history channel in advance. And I'm going to let you see the whole sad story. And Moses is shown. And then we are told, this is the moment. But Moses looks to where the invisible... Because remember, he endured as one who saw the invisible. He looks to where the invisible is standing. And Moses says, oh God... I cannot die unless I know again that you have forgiven me. And one more time, he pleads. And we are told, out of that invisible space, the voice said, My friend, you are forgiven. Now go to sleep. Oh my. One day, when I get to heaven, I really do hope they have a history channel there. I want God to play this part. I want God to play this part because you know what happens? Mercy steps off the throne of the universe after the boy is dead and turned to dust. Mercy steps off the throne of the universe and races down to a summit called Nebo. And the towering Christ is standing over only dust. Because the Bible says only God knew 
where Moses died. Some of you have some loved ones that you are praying against hope that God marks the place of that boy. I want you to know, Mama, God has already marked that spot. Hallelujah. He didn't forget. Where is he? He knows. The towering Christ stands over that moment. Oh, you've got to see this. We, we are indebted to Jude, and there's one line from Jude, Jude 9. Take a look at this. Yet Michael the archangel, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Philip Melanchthon taught it. I have taught it. I believe it. The pre-incarnate Christ in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. You can't have him. What are you doing down here? You understand, nobody has ever seen what Christ is about to do. The whole universe. Nobody has ever seen. I don't know what you're doing, but you are by his grave. And that boy is mine. I want to remind you that you kicked me out of heaven for eclipsing your glory. He did the same thing. And he and I are together forever. You cannot have him. And Christ did not rail against him. He did not argue with him. He just said to him, the Lord rebuke you. Move. Lucifer slinks away. By the way, you understand that the entire universe is there that day. All the retinue of heaven has come because nobody's going to, nobody has yet seen what is about to happen. All of hell, the demons of hell are there because nobody knows what's he going to do with that dust. And Christ issues a simple command. I don't know what it was, but it worked. And suddenly, before a gaping universe, the dust on the summit of Mount Nebo begins to tremble. It moves, it shifts, and suddenly out of the dirt and a dusty bed emerges a dead being brought back to life. Hallelujah. And the shout went out, and I am certain it went to the furthest corner of this universe. Write it down. Apparently, mercy can reclaim even the dead. Hallelujah. Oh, my. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? That means the chosen who die before the promised land may be you, may be me. The chosen who die before the promised land will still get to the promised land. Hallelujah. Because if Moses got there, then we will get there death notwithstanding. Because of the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The chosen. The chosen will be crossing over one day, I believe, soon. I want to stay with the chosen. Do you? I want to stay with the chosen because I want to be crossing over. Do you? Do you? Put your hand up. You want to, you want to stay with the chosen. You want to cross over one day? Hallelujah. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom the chosen. Ransom captive Israel. Jesus, please come.